With our gospel lesson today, we continue our Lenten series with a text from the Gospel of Luke, studied by small groups this week, being taught by Professor Eric Barreto in adult education as we speak, as I speak. It is from Luke, the eighth chapter. I will begin reading at the 22nd verse, Luke 8 and 22. Hear the word of God. One day, Jesus got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they put out. And while they were sailing, Jesus fell asleep. A windstorm swept down on the lake, and the boat was filling with water, and they were in danger. They went to Jesus and woke him up, shouting, Master, Master, we are perishing. Jesus woke up and rebuked the wind and the raging waves. They ceased, and there was a calm. Jesus said to them, where is your faith? They were afraid and amazed and said to one another, who then is this? that He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. When Jesus and the disciples arrived at the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee, as he stepped out on land, a man of the city who had demons demons, met Jesus. For a long time, the man had worn no clothes, and he did not live in a house but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus... He fell down before Jesus and shouted at the top of his voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High, the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For Jesus had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many times it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the wilds. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? The man said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. They begged Jesus not to order them to go back into the abyss. Now there was on the hillside a large herd of swine feeding, and the demons begged Jesus to let them enter these, so Jesus gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When the swine herd saw what had happened, they ran off and told it in the city and in the country. Then people came out to see what had happened, and when they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told them how the one who had been possessed by demons had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them. For they were seized with great fear. So Jesus got in the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that Jesus that he might be with Jesus. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home 
and declare how much God has done for you. So the man went away, proclaiming throughout the city how much Jesus had done for him. This is the word of the Lord. The fear comes even before Jesus steps out of the boat in the eighth chapter of the Gospel of Luke. The disciples are overwhelmed with fear and amazement after Jesus rebuked the wind and the raging waves. Though eight chapters into the Gospel, where healings and cleansing and teaching abound, Jesus calming the storm leaves the disciples afraid. Maybe that's why none of them got out of the boat on the other side. It's only Jesus himself who steps out on the Gentile land across the Sea of Galilee from Capernaum. And the description of the unnamed man's reaction to the arrival of Jesus oozes fear. The man of the city who had demons. The man falls down at the feet of Jesus, begging the Son of the Most High God not to torment him. Luke never reports that the man was overwhelmed with fear, but it sure sounds like it. There on the other side, Jesus steps out of the boat into a world that reeked of torment, suffering, and death. A place where the forces of darkness, the powers that work against the ways of God, forces and powers run amok, amok there among the tombs. The demon-infested pigs were not the only ones headed for the abyss. Jesus himself stepped out on the edge of the abyss to a one-on-one conversation with the tormented soul there in that place of the dead. The man tormented by an unclean spirit multiplied by a factor of several thousand, as in legion. Forces so powerful that sometimes the shackles and chains would be broken and the man would be driven even further into the wild. Fewer terms, fewer metaphors are more fraught with meaning in both the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament than the term, the wild, the wilderness. The man was sent to the same wilderness, the same abyss as Jesus when the Spirit led Jesus out to a place to be tempted by the devil. Jesus stepped out of the boat into a world that he already knew. The gospel's lingering on the details here. It may not stoke fear in the reader, but it certainly foments discomfort. Or at the very least, it raises lots and lots of questions that have few easy answers. The magnitude of the man's suffering is not the end of fear in the passage either. After Jesus commands the unclean spirit to come out of the man and after Jesus humanizes him by asking his name, the demons 
begged Jesus to let them enter a herd of pigs. The demons rushed down the bank and drowned themselves in the Sea of Galilee, the calmed sea, now all stirred up again. The pigs die in the abyss after all. Demons can't avoid the abyss. Demons, demon. Rushing to get as far away as possible from the ways of God. When the man now no longer tormented is clothed and in his right mind, sitting at the feet of Jesus, that's when fear rises again. Great fear. The farmers tending the herd of pigs saw everything that happened, both to the man and to their pigs. They went to tell everyone in the country and in the city, everyone. Everyone came to see for themselves, and the people saw the healed man and were afraid. The people heard the details of the story, and all the people, everyone was seized with great fear. If Luke had made reference to the anger of the swine herds or mention of the economic disruption to an entire community, maybe we could convince ourselves that the people were angry rather than afraid. Their great fear didn't come until they saw the man sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. Jesus takes on the powers of darkness, empire, suffering, evil, and death. Power exhibited to the nth degree. Jesus goes toe-to-toe with all that is at work in the world against what God intends. Against the kingdom now fulfilled in him. And the people were afraid. Was there great fear because of the power Jesus unleashed in calling out the demons from the man? Or did their fear come from seeing the wholeness and health of the man that the world tortured with chains and shackles? And of course the answer is yes. It's easier when you know where to point, where to look, what to hate. It's easier when the forces of darkness are contained somewhere in something, in someone. There is clarity in life when there's a clear enemy. The people were afraid because Jesus took away their scapegoat. Jesus brought healing to the one they believed to be the face of death. Jesus took away the focus of their fear kept in the tombs where darkness and death belong. And with the man sitting there at the feet of Jesus whole, The man being set free, the people started wondering where to look. The people were so afraid, they begged Jesus, son of the most high God, to leave. The people were so afraid, they turned their backs on the Savior in their midst. They chose darkness rather than light. The people who walked in darkness turned away from the great light. The people begged God with us to head the other way.
This gospel story so full of fear, that great fear that comes from all the people near the end of the story, it may not stoke fear in the reader, but it certainly foments discomfort. The man begged Jesus to allow him to stay with him, to go with him, and the man, the man made whole wanted to get back in the boat with Jesus, but Jesus sent him home. Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. Professor Barreto suggests that Jesus sent the man home to embody healing, to bring healing, to witness to good and wholeness and healing right in his own community, so broken by fear and torn by the forces of darkness. to perhaps make a difference for the sake of the gospel among those whose actions and fear were far from neighboring. Those who seemed far from doing likewise. As is often the case in the gospel stories of Jesus, the son of the most high God, the reader never knows how that went for the man or for the Gerasenes, or for all the people, once Jesus left. Jesus stepped out of the boat into a world that reeked of torment, suffering, and death. A world full of the forces of darkness and power that work against the ways of God a world where the forces that work to squelch the kingdom way are far from contained, where so many demonize, label, and fear those who are different in an effort to know where to look and what to hate, a world where no explanation point is needed because the examples and the descriptions are stacked up like the details of this gospel story that are so discomforting and raise so many questions, this gospel story. A world where further details need not be listed. Jesus stepped out of the boat right into your world and mine. Jesus stepped out of the boat into your world and mine. I've been watching the PBS documentary written and narrated by Henry Louis Gates, Jr. It's worth watching. His, his first documentary, too, not long ago, was on the black church. The current one is on gospel music. This week's episode ended with an anthem familiar to us here at Nassau Church, Richard Smallwood's Total Praise. One of the consistent themes that comes up as Gates and others discuss the history of gospel music is the inseparable relationship between preaching and gospel music in the African-American church. Gates and others tell of the despair and the loss of hope in the church after Dr. King was assassinated and that it was through preaching and gospel music that the church refused to give in to the powers of darkness and the evil forces of racism. Not only were people able to cling to hope, they dared to rejoice and give thanks to the promise of God's present and ultimate victory in and through Jesus Christ. And in their sermons... 
Preachers like Gardner Taylor and Shirley Caesar and others elevated the conclusions of their sermons to another level when it came to taking worshipers to an experience of praise and hope and, yes, joy. Henry Mitchell was the dean of the teaching of African-American preaching. He called that kind of conclusion to a sermon celebration. And he argued that every sermon should end in celebration. Mitchell wrote, celebration is not to be mistaken for exhortation, even though it may actually bring the same result. The concluding challenge so often heard is not as great a motivator as being glad about God's will and work in the same area of the kingdom. The more people rejoice about the goodness and faithfulness of God, the more they establish that joyous quality in their inner lives, regardless of the outer chaos. Preaching's accentuation of the positive good news, Mitchell wrote, should help hearers both be liberated as well as empowering them to seek by faith and work to liberate the oppressed. Jesus stepped out of that boat into the outer chaos of your world and mine. That's the good news, isn't it? Good news. That's the gospel. Jesus, the Son of the Most High God, stepped into this world. From the ark of Mary's womb, he came bearing our flesh. A flesh that aches when surrounded by the powers and principalities. A flesh that cries out for light amid the present darkness. A flesh that craves the present and ultimate victory of God. It is, it is the good news. For, for as you and I draw near to the man set free, now released from all the trappings of death and captivity, another tomb comes into view. That tomb is empty. Jesus set us free from death too. For this Jesus, the Savior, who steps into our world again and again and again, this Son of God has conquered death and plunged the depths of the abyss itself. He's forever broken the shackles and chains of those powers that work against the ways of God. And for those who live in a world of evil uncontained, who walk in a land of deep darkness, on them, on us, this light has shined. And so God's people will dare to hope, and the people will not fear. Though the earth should change, though the mountains shake in the heart of the sea, for God is our refuge and strength. God's people dare to pray endlessly for peace, for one day the people shall beat their swords into plowshares, and nations shall not lift up war sword against nation. One day God's people will learn, more, no, learn war no more. God's people will work for justice and mercy and compassion, knowing that the kingdom in heaven shall surely be coming on earth, a kingdom where they will hunger no more and thirst no more, and the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd, this God with us will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Until that day, here along, along the way, 
where Jesus steps out of the boat again and again into this world of outer chaos. You and I are called to go home and tell anyone you can find how much God has done for you, done for us. Thanks be to God.